of our moms. Uh, I love it that uh, in God's providence, the, the church, um, at, we're, we're going to look at the church, at the letter to the church at Sardis today, but uh, I think it's appropriate, very appropriate when thinking about our moms. Um, I saw this funny survey that, uh, that was, uh, was done about the worst Mother's Day gifts that you could give them. And so if, you, if you've done this, you need to go ahead and uh, pivot just so you know like so if you've done so here here's where a partial list of the 30 worst mother's day gifts a deodorant <laughs> a fire extinguisher <laughs> cleaning supplies a stick of french bread salad dressing popcorn ants on an ant farm hair dye screwdriver a toilet roll calculator and car parts so those were part of, part of the list of the 30. Don't do that, right? This is just, a, I'm just giving you, a, this is extra. This is an add-in, right? And then the, the, the worst Mother's Day cards, if you wrote any of this, don't go ahead and, and throw it away before she gets it. Mom, thanks for always checking up on me with a picture of a cell phone with 24 unanswered calls from mom. <laughs> Second, well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like someone wasn't raised properly. <laughs> That's good. Come on. That's good. I'm awesome. You're welcome to the luckiest mom ever. Mom, I love you loads. Picture of a laundry basket overflowing with clothes. Speaking of loads, can you do my laundry? Don't do those. Moms, I think moms have the ability not just to be uh, stretchy and can morph to whatever you need as a son or you need as a daughter, but moms can see us. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of a mom. She can see you. Uh, You can't hide from your mom. Your mom knows when you walk in the door if you've had a good day or a bad day without even having to say anything. A mom's love is unbelievable. And it's like, if you will, it's like an x-ray. You just can't hide. And all of these letters to the churches uh, in the book of Revelation in Asia Minor, they're like an x-ray. It's like you can't hide. You can't. And so um, this is the fifth church. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 3. And I'll just show you where this city is. We've, We've looked at this map for four weeks here. Right in the middle there, you see Philadelphia to the left is Sardis. And that's what we're going to look at. These were major cities where you had churches. And they, a lot of them, the churches were, it'd be like, to the church in Tampa. Well, that would be a bunch of different churches. But in this day, it would probably be a bunch of different house churches where there were gatherings, where people believed in the word of God and the breaking of bread and the fellowshipping of one, with one another. And they were key areas. They were areas of, of commerce. And so they had influence. And, and you see over here to the left, on the island of Patmos, that was the writer of Revelation. That was John. And he wrote, and God essentially pulled back the curtain for him and said, I need you to tell these churches these messages. Each church struggles in a, in a distinct way. And each church had some really strong, um, uh, they, had, they had some strengths. Um, but I need you, uh, angel, from God through Jesus to the angel, I need you to write this to the church at Sardis. And so I want you to think of this in three ways. Think of it as, as uh, to Westtown. When you read this, think, okay, what, 
does this apply to Westtown? Does this apply to your family, your family at home, and to you individually? I want you to think in those, at, those level, at those levels, like, okay, because ultimately this book is about showing us a glorious and exalted picture of Jesus, a Jesus who cannot be managed, a Jesus who cannot be trivialized away, because we see already his hair is white, right, to show his wisdom. His eyes are fiery to show you there's nothing that Jesus cannot see. We've already seen these pictures, and so he's writing this. Out of his mouth, we've already seen, comes a sword which has two edges, and it's going to penetrate you and me, and nothing can stop. His voice is greater than what? Than the sounds of water. That's what we know. These are the, this is the understanding. So we cannot see Jesus as a pale Galilean. Many of us see him that way. He is not that. He is who? who? Who is Jesus? He is not frail and fragile, but someone who is mighty, someone who is all-powerful. So, someone who we see later on is going to ride the stallion of history. That's who Jesus is. So to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, Here's, here's what, uh, here's what uh, John writes to the angel of the church at Sardis. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God. We know that this is another name, completed Holy Spirit. And the seven stars, the messengers. I know your works. Now, now hear this. You have, think about this in your life. You have the reputation of being alive. What's your rep? How do people see you? What's your rep? You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess His name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is this word saying to our church, Westtown? What is this saying to your family? And what is this saying to you? You have to make this personal. You cannot ever let this be a lecture up here. We believe in the living, breathing word of God. And last week we talked about, okay, what is the process through which we understand the gospel to get to get the gospel you know in underneath our fingernails to, to really get it in our hearts well we talked about this little we called it the gospel waltz we're going to be implementing a discipleship program and this is a kind of a big picture view of what we believe should be the everyday of a church uh, of a of, of a christian is to repent to see your sinfulness right and then you have to repent and see how much you need Jesus. That means humbling yourself and understanding your sinfulness and then believing in the record of Jesus 
You have to believe it. You have to still stare at the cross. That's why we have a cross. You have to stare at the cross. It's seeing your sinfulness, staring at the cross, and then what? And then you obey. Not you have to obey. Remember that. You never have to obey. How do we know that? Well, think about Jesus' last few uh, moments on the cross. Who was next to him? A criminal. Did that criminal have any time to get off his cross and get down and do a good work after he was saved? No, he didn't. Jesus just turned to him and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's how we know you don't have to obey. But true Christians what? True Christians work. True Christians obey. Why? Because faith without works, the half-brother of Jesus says, is dead. It's not true. You know that. And so here we, we, we look in this, and, and essentially here's what, and we talked about three types of Christians. But the Christian that I want us to talk about today is those of us in this room that will not repent. Because you know what we turn into? We turn into stoic, unaffected Christians. Here's what you will do. You, you could recite the gospel in, in the belief part. You have that in your equation. And you know what? If someone followed you around, they would say, this, pers- this dude is a pretty good dude. This, this, this girl, man, she lives, she, she's not perfect, but she obeys. And some of us are really good at believing the gospel. We know it in our heads, and we can act it out with our hands and with our feet. But what is this, what is, uh, this church di- being diagnosed as? Is that, hey, look, here's what you have to do, church at Sardis. You, you have a reputation of being alive, right? But what you have to deal with is you have to deal with um, looking truly at your heart. The only way out of this is to what? Is to humble yourself. You have to decrease. And one way you can know this, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, do you, let me just ask you, do you struggle with worry? Anybody in this room struggle with worry? Are you, have you worried about anything? Let's just look at this at a deeper level. Worry. If if you look at worry, what is that about? And and I'll be very kind of kind of wooden here, but also maybe maybe stark. Worry says it presumes something. It presumes that you are smarter than God. If you worry about something, why do you worry? Here's what we know: God has a plan for your life. So why are you worrying? Well. Obviously, what's going on right now or what's about to happen, you feel like isn't right. And the plan that here is is not right. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to worry. And so you pull up worry. If you were to pull up worry in your garden and you were to look at the roots of worry, what's underneath this? Why is worrying coming up, right? What, What do I... It's built on the belief that you and I know better than God how your life ought to go. So... How do you get it out of your life? you got to humble yourself. Maybe at a more harsh level, worry is, is saying it's a form of arrogance. Worry is saying, you know what? Um, I know better than God. But the, the gospel says that if you want peace or confidence or security or rest, and I think everyone in this room wants that in some area of your life, you know what I have to do? I have to decrease And Christ has to increase. I have to see Christ as powerful and more glorious. And here in the beginning of this book of Revelation, it says this time and time again. If, Westtown, if you repent. If you repent. 
If you repent, if you repent, if you can see yourself for what you really are, if you're really ready to look at the greatness of Jesus, you will understand how much you need him. Because God wants all of you. He wants every part of you. And when you think of, you know, when you think of a relationship with God, many of us think of it this way. Uh, I have a personal relationship with God. But here's what we know. The covenant that God had with his people, it was called a covenant, and it was ratified, it was sealed with, with circumcision, right? That was the sign in the seal. And so when you think about how God interacted with his people, it was a personal relationship, but it was based on a legal contract. It was. And so if you think about the way we work here in America, okay, I want to develop a, per, uh, a wonderful personal relationship, right? Um, in, 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 a, in a marriage, I want a wonderful personal relationship, but that's difficult. Covenants are difficult for American Christians to believe. You know why? Because we don't ultimately like, we like to say this, I want to, as an American, live together without getting married. That's what I want to do. I like the personal relationship side, but I don't want any legality involved. I don't want the commitment of, you know, this legalese. And so if we have to get married, you know what we need to get? Prenuptial agreement, right? We want the personal and the private without what? Without the legal and without the public. That's what we want. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I work in covenants, and they are personal, but they are binding. They are legal. That's the way I work. It's multidimensional, and it's comprehensive. That's what it means to be in a relationship with a covenant-keeping God. And so, God says, I will fill your heart with love. We will walk together. You can have a personal um, relationship and intimacy with me, but here's what I want you to do, Moses, or, or excuse me, Abraham. You have to get circumcised. Circumcision is the binding legal seal that says you're mine, right? That's how we know it's legal. It's not just personal. Because God says to you and to me, I want every part of you because I'm giving you all of me. That's what he says. That's the type of relationship I want, church at Sardis. I want it all. I want everything. I want to relate to you covenantally. And so when you understand a covenant, all joining a church means is what? Is you're willing to make a public vow that what? When you become a member of a church, you become you make a public vow that makes you accountable. Accountable to what you said you believe. So lots of people don't want to be members of a church because you know what? They don't want to be held accountable. Well, that's not covenantal. That's no God says, I want all of you, not to hurt you because it's the way you were designed. It's the way you were to be with me. Remember Romans 12 where he says, look, you are to make yourself a what? A living sacrifice, a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And so ultimately, when you look at the way you relate to him covenantally, covenantally, when you stop obeying God, you know what the prophets were doing essentially? This was God sending you a lawsuit. He says, wait, wait, we had an agreement that you would obey the Torah. 
right? The 613 Old Testament laws. You would, and so when the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel came to his people, you know what they were saying? Oh, I've got a lawsuit again. You've, broke, you've broken my what? You've broken my covenant. You can't break my covenant, but you have. But you know what's the beautiful thing about it? As God says, even in spite of that, I, I will send you someone who will be your representative, unlike Adam, who will not ever sin. He is perfectly personal and perfectly legal, and he will, he will you know, meet every uh, stipulation in that, co- uh, in that covenant. And that is how sure you can be that you will continue to be in relationship with me. That's how sure you can be. And so the mark of a real Christian is someone who goes back to the covenant and sees what? That you fall short of it. That's the hard part about repentance. You have to go back to the covenant and look at the laws and say, you know what God told me to do? Love the Lord my God with everything that I have. And then Jesus kind of told us there's a whole other layer on the Sermon on the Mount. You haven't slept with another woman? Have you ever lusted for another woman that's not your wife? Well, you've committed adultery. I know you have not stabbed somebody in the chest with a knife and killed them, but have you? do you hate somebody right now? It's the same thing. You know what you've done? You've broken my covenant. That's what you've done. So the mark of a real Christian is someone, Jesus is saying, who realizes that and seeing that we've, and, and sees that we fall short and sees their need of what? of repenting and humbling yourselves because your self-righteousness will never, ever measure up. And you need the righteousness of Jesus. And that's why Jesus was sent to you. And ultimately, he's saying, until you understand that, you know what you can't become? Let's go to our first point. You can't be great because repentance is the only way to greatness. If you want to be great, here's what you have to realize. You break his covenant either relationally or legally, you're going to break it or you have, and you have broken it in to- so many different ways, uh, so many different ways. And so when you understand that church at Sardis, Westtown, your family, you personally, here's what I need you to do. I need you to repent. And who in this room wants to be humble? Who in this room wants to say, okay, you know what? This week, here's what I've done. Here's, here's how I've lusted. Here's how I coveted. Here's how I've you know, told a half truth. I've done, I've talked behind this person's back. I've probably slandered this person. We don't want to do that. But counterintuitively, that's what he says. That's the only way you are going to be great because here's what you can turn into, Church of Sardis, Westtown, you and your family room. Here's what you can turn into. You can turn into, you know, he says, these are the words of those who holds the seven spirits and says, I know your deeds. And tell me if this is you. You have a rep. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Is that not the most frightening kind of situation? Because in this letter, there's nothing that indicates the church of of Sardis has gone off the, the deep end biblically. They're orthodox. They have not added to the scripture or taken away. They are orthodox. There's nothing that indicates the church of Sardis doesn't open the Bible and read it word for word, right? And here's what we know, and there's no indicate or charge or accusation. And here's what we also know, the church has a name, and it's alive. 
What does your last name mean about you? For some of us in this room, you have a very, very, very strong reputation. And someone just says your name, and the thing people think about you is your rep. What has happened in the past? And, and so a church that has a name is seen as what? Alive. Westtown Church, what are you doing? Well, yeah, we have this, you know, we have this youth group and this preschool and this, you know, worship ministry and this, da 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 I mean, by reputation, maybe you, our church, whatever, is alive. How many times in your life have you lived off your last name? The reputation of your father. I know I have. Your father or your mother. And you get all kinds of good things assumed to you because of your last name. Or you've worked hard in the past and you know, hey, your, your name. Your first and last name means something. Oh, I know that dude. I know her. Yeah, she's got a great reputation. Well, what, what he's saying is, yeah, Sardis, maybe this is you or your family. You have a great rep. It's good. It's solid. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's solid. And maybe the church is alive and maybe the church is growing. Maybe it's seen as a growing, busy, you know, church that does a lot of things, and maybe that's you and your family. All these things, and, and then Jesus says, but look, when I go to your house and I do an x-ray, you know what I say? I say, you know what, I see what everybody thinks and, 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 and assumes and perceives on the outside, but on the inside, you know what you've lost? You've lost the inner reality. You've lost the love. You, you can do it, man. You can absolutely know and say the gospel and do the right thing. You'll come to church. You'll teach in, in kids town. You'll go to youth group. You'll, you'll open up your Bible even and read it. Maybe you'll have your 10 minutes or 30 minutes of prayer. But man, when you are diagnosed and I am diagnosed and we get that spiritual MRI, right? So where we cannot hide anymore, man, you've got a rip here. It is torn. There's a massive fracture. And you thought it was little. You know why you're limping? It's because this. What looks like on the outside isn't true. You have what? You have lost the inner reality. Because many churches say this, and we could easily fall into this. No, every church is susceptible to falling in. We, our church could, could be lumped into this. It doesn't matter so much what you believe and what you feel experience inside as long as what as we are making as as we are making the world or we are working to make the world a better place let's just unite that's we are the world we are the children we are the ones to make right these churches are the most popular churches right these are the churches that get all the media, man. We bring people together. What do we do? We, we, we do good deeds, right? We're, we're all, right, all ex- inclusive, if you will. They look so open-minded, and ultimately what we say, it doesn't matter what you believe or who you think you are. We have all sorts of beliefs in our church. In fact, there are a lot of people in our church that don't even know what they believe. But here's the point, that we're unified, right, baby? Come on, it's all good. And what happens? You're doing the things. Yes, 
I could see a church coming together and it doesn't look like you're fractured, but you have what you have uniting you is shifting sand. It, it will not hold, and that is a very popular kind of church today. That is the type of church that's going to get a ton of run on CNN or whatever it is. They're going to get tons of love because we're all united and we're about that. But, um, and, and these types of churches think, okay, as long as churches are doing good deeds, then, then we will will be, um, will be for them. But uh, right doctrine or whatever, or orthodox believing that you need a savior, ultimately, when you go to them and you say, this is what we believe, they say, give me a break. Come on. If you're going to do a soup kitchen or feed the poor or help a young mother, we're all about you. But don't tell me. Don't tell me the basis for this. Don't tell me the inner reality. All I want is the outer reality. And the church at Sardis is beginning to look that way. And you tell me, to play it safe, would it not be easy for churches today just to do that? We're not going to say one thing about what we believe or what we think is going on inside of our hearts because we don't want to offend anybody. We will show you the external good deeds of our church so that we will be beloved by our culture. And we, ultimately, <clears throat> we want to mask we want to mask anything that's going on. And some of us, you are very good at this because you, you've become so skilled at doing the right thing and you know exactly what you need to say to your mom or your dad, your pastor, right? Your youth leader. You know exactly what you need to say to your son or your daughter because you want to be seen as the Christian father and the Christian mother. And you know you haven't felt the Lord in months, if not years. Or maybe you never have. And you mask this stuff. And he's saying, I come into the church at Sardis. Hey, man, butts are in the seats, right? I look at the financial report. It's pretty good. You guys are expanding. That's great. But when I look, look, there ain't nothing there. Does that not make you shake in your bones at a certain level? I mean, would it not be easier to put on a navy blue blazer and give a really good sermon and make sure every, everybody thinks you look good? And you're fine, and you go home, and nothing's real about what you just spoke about for a half an hour on a Sunday morning. Man, if you don't think this has gone on in my head all week, what does this mean? God, are you diagnosing me? Don't ever let this be the case. Have I just fallen into, like, you know, kind of robot pastor mode or robot professional Christian mode guy? Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but. Yes, maybe you've done that. Can't. You're worthless. You are you're not helping anybody. So you know what you need to do? You need to see yourself in a different way. You need to see yourself. In fact, let me use this, John says. What does it mean for you to be asleep? Dads, do we not love naps? Oh, man, I love naps. I love sleeping so much, right? What is it like to just, you know, you're just kind of like sailing away for like two and a half hours. The rays are losing by two. You don't really care anymore. That's it, right? You float away, right? And you're like, and then someone comes in, right? Someone comes in and says, Dad, what are we having? You're doing this. And you're like, whatever you want. Go ahead. It's fine. It's all good, right? Imagine you're in that, like that half sleep, half awake mode, right? And Lou comes in and says, hey, babe, just so you know, we've... Uh, there's, a, there's an intruder in the house. Just thought you might want to wake up. Okay, I'll, I'll get it later. Worry about it, right? I'll worry about it later. 
There's an intruder in the house. Sardis, that's you. You're asleep, man. You're a walking, right? You're a zombie. You have no idea. And maybe that describes you. That you need to hear from Jesus. No, no, you can't sleep. You cannot take a nap. You need to wake up because you've been in this state for this state of sleep, hard sleep or kind of half sleep, and you can't see anymore because you're not even sure. Have you ever woken up and I've done this before where I like start saying something that doesn't make any sense like, I need eggs for next Friday. What? Babe, I'm sorry. I, just, I, was, I was talking about my dream. I'm sorry. I just woke up and I realized whatever I said to you didn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Right? Like we're in this, you don't know if you're in your dream or if you're awake. And I think Sardis lost the ability to say whether or not they were awake or not. And so they are, you know, it's like someone's taking a, a, cold, a cold bucket of water and throwing, wake up. You have to be awake, church, especially now. You know how Rome is persecuting the church? You know what? You could absolutely be susceptible to a false gospel, to just being a chameleon Christian, and it will do nobody any good. But if you think about an organization that does good things, but they don't have the true internal reason for doing it. People who just want to be a part of a church to go on a missions trip. They don't believe in Jesus. They just, wait, do I, I can get some hours in? I can get some, uh, I can get some community service hours? Can I sign up for your soup kitchen? And they do that, right? And so imagine they do that. They do that over a year and they have a hundred or a couple hundred hours. And then people are asking them, why do you do that? What's your purpose for going on a mission? I mean, well, I want to help others. Well, why would you want to help others? Why? Well, I think it's a good thing to do. Why would you think it's a good thing to do? And that's where it stops. Well, just because. Okay, I guess that seems good. I guess it's good for society. But we as Christians get to say, yeah, you know why? Because I am that poor person. I am that beggar. And Jesus came and he gave me a meal. That's why I want to give those, you know, a glass of water or, or, a, or a meal. That's why I want to go and tell the gospel because I was the foreigner to Jesus, right? I remember when I went to Jamaica and we're up in the hills of Jamaica when I was 15 years old thinking like I'm doing something really, really nice for God. And then all of a sudden it hit me. That I was the same person to God, and God came up to the mountain and found me. And that's the reason I should be sharing my faith. Not because I think there's something inherently good about, uh, about me, it's because of what has been done to me. And the church of Sardis had missed this, because there's no inner reality. And that's my question to you this morning. What's your inner reality? Are you a part of a church that does good things, has a good rep, a family that has a good rep. But if someone were to ask three questions that would peel the onion right to its core, you wouldn't know what to say. Or you wouldn't have a good answer. The answer every time in the book of Revelation is repent. What does that mean? Frank, I don't want to have to humble, humble myself. Yes, no, that's what it means. Talk about your sin. Talk about where you love to sin and why you love to sin against God and how you need a huge Savior. And, and then, then what we do 
with true repentance, we endeavor right, to go the other way and move that way. And we don't always do it perfectly, and we still, the sin pulls us this way. But we constantly humble ourselves and say, I need a Savior. Because for so many people in this room, and I know that, you don't want a Savior when, you, when it comes down to it. You don't want to need anything. Your whole life is about hedging need. And it's repent, believe, give your life away in obedience. Repent, that's it. It ain't rocket science. Christianity is not rocket science. It's repent, believe, church at Sardis, and give your life away. And some of you know how to obey, and you know how to look good, and you work in the system, because you know what? You don't want to repent. You're tired of saying you need a Savior. And the, the truth of the gospel is you can never tire of needing a Savior. The only way you can curb wanting to fall asleep all the time is knowing that you want to fall asleep all the time. That's the only way you can, you can caution or, or uh, help work against that. You have to know that you want to fall asleep. Everybody in this room, the scripture says, we want to fall asleep because we don't want to need the gospel. That's why, you know, there's no one that seeks God, Romans 3. There's no one that seeks after him. If we stop preaching this gospel, we turn into this church quickly. And in this society that says, just look good, work off your rep, don't have stuff going on inside, don't need to repent, man, we could, we could become the church of Sardis like in two months. Why would he have this for us? Why would he bring you here this Sunday to hear this message? I want to ask you again, is it easy to have your reputation mask your need for God inside of you? Are you very skilled at putting a mask on and playing a role so that people won't ask you too many questions? If that's you, here's what we do. Here's, here's what we do. We repent. Say, this is where I'm at. Unless you know you're missing God, you know what? You will miss God. The church at Sardis needs to constantly say, I am missing God. And when you understand that, you will find God. That's what he is saying. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Where are you? How might God change you even this morning? Are you tired? Because our flesh, we know, longs for sleep. Are you tired of doing the external things and not having the inner, right, the inner reality? Let's, let's change that this morning. Let's start this morning. Let's start this morning and say, you know what? I'm not wearing masks anymore. I'm not playing the game. Okay, I need them. Help me repent. Well, you hear the gospel. We preach the gospel. And you know what we do once a month is we see the gospel. And that's what communion is. You get to see the gospel. You get to see, right, the bread and the juice, the blood. You get to see, okay, this is him. He was broken. He was pierced for me. And we see it. And we enter into this by faith. And so as we prepare for that, let's, let's ask God to help us this morning and say, God, please make my inner, my inner turmoil, my inner, my inner truth, congruent with my outer deeds.